Hello, sports fans, and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest headlines explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics we'll be discussing are Who should be favored in the NBA Finals between the Celtics and the Warriors? Plus, a preview of the Conference Finals in the Stanley Cup Playoffs. And a dive into the drama between Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher. It's episode 75 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. Hello, everybody. Once again, here on Thursday, June 2nd, 2022, episode number 75 of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in wherever you are getting this podcast. I hope everyone had a very safe and happy Memorial Day weekend. The unofficial start of summer is here. It ain't feeling like it, though, in here. I'm looking out my window right now. I see clouds. I'm feeling a little cold. Temps are in the 60s. They're not quite summer temperatures that I thought, so... Hopefully we'll get into it uh, summer the next couple of weeks. But of course, you have the unofficial start of summer. But around this time, you know, something gets very, very exciting. And that is the NBA Finals. And it's now set. We have our final two teams. It's the Golden State Warriors and the Boston Celtics. And this, I think, is a very exciting matchup that no one's really complaining about i mean unless you're a dallas or a miami fan or uh any of those teams that had title aspirations uh in the near future but um i think this is a great uh finals matchup i think um to me personally this is some a finals matchup that probably should have happened a couple of years ago uh i look back at like 2018 when the celtics had the Cavs in seven games um, or they should have had him, I should say, or in 2019 when the Celtics were loaded, uh, but couldn't just couldn't finish, you know, with Kyrie Hayward, Horford, Smart, Tatum Brown, Rozier Morris, all those guys going against, you know, Kevin Durant, Curry, Boogie Cousins was on the roster at that time. You know, I thought this was a matchup that would have already happened, you know, if all preseason expectations were met. But this is the first time they've met. I think since the sixties or something like that, I think not since the golden state warriors were the Philadelphia warriors and you had to go to Wilt Chamberlain, I think, or something like that. Um, but I am very excited to watch this matchup as a fan. Um, I do. I would say that uh, the previous series in the conference finals went further than I thought, because I, I had said last week that by the time the episode, uh, this episode, I say comes out, uh, the finals would have already been set. And we were half right with the Warriors uh, knocking off the Mavericks in that fifth game. Um, and then the Heat, I definitely would have thought the Celtics had it. But Miami just looked like a whole different team after the first five games. When you look at them in game six and seven, they were clearly much healthier than we saw in game four and game five. Um in those two games, but game seven was exciting. It was nail biting between Boston and Miami. Um, everyone was talking about the Jimmy Butler uh, decision on the final shot. I personally don't have a problem with it. 
you know, it, it's a, it's a 50, 51, you know, Butler is a good driver. He could have gotten a foul, but you know, he was feeling it over the last two games. I mean, you had the 47 point game six, and then in this one, he had, I think like 35 or something like that. So back to back, he was just feeling that uh, the shots are going down. So I don't have a problem with the decision. Not at all. Um, am I glad he missed it? Absolutely. Because the Celtics are now in the NBA finals. So Obviously, we got to preview the finals uh, between these two teams uh, because I think both both Boston and Golden State have perfect reasons as to why they should they should win it all. Ar- arguably, I mean, you look at Boston side of things; they've arguably been the best team since the All Star break uh, with a record of twenty nine and eleven, including playoff uh, team, including the playoffs uh, in all those series. They've been, you know, arguably the best defense in the NBA statistically. And considering that this team was 18 and 21 at one point, they were sub 500 uh, heading into January. I am shocked to see this team uh, the way they are. And I think I give full credit to Ime Odoka and that coaching staff for turning things around and uh, really just instilling a winning culture uh, in there. He turned around. Everybody, considering, you know, a year ago, there were talks of, you know, blowing the whole thing up. I mean, Danny Ainge out as uh, president, Brad Stevens goes from the sidelines to the front office. You know, there was a lot of a lot of talk about blowing things up, but they stuck to the course. And here they are four wins away from their first title since 2008 and in their first finals since 2010. Um, The X factor I see, though. For Boston, I think he's going to be their size and their superstars. I mean, they have the best record against Steve Kerr, which is another reason why it's, you know, it's possible that they could win. I mean, they have, I think they're the only team that's, that has like a, a plus 500 or like an over 500 mark uh, at nine or nine and seven. They have the best winning percentage. I know that for a fact, but size and superstars I see is that. The, I look at the size and I look at Robert Williams. I think when healthy and he's not dealing with a sore knee from day to day, I think he's the, the best center on the floor for either team right now. Not only is he effective on the offensive side of things, but his length, his ability to be a rim protector and to switch out on the perimeter and just use his length to his advantage. I think he's got to be healthy, though, to be effective because you look at what the Warriors have. Kevon Looney, he's not going to play as many minutes as uh, Robert Williams. And they're going to play a lot of small ball, which means, you know, Draymond Green's going to be the center. Otto Porter might be the center at times. Um, so Robert Williams has to be effective. And I think for him to do that, he's got to be healthy. And the, the good news for him is he's had a m- multiple days to sort of get that knee right. And in the finals, you know, there are there's an extra day off rather than playing every other day. You get two days off. Uh, in between each game. So I think that helps Robert Williams, but I think his size along with uh, Al Horford's size, you know, he doesn't have to be the rim protector, but we saw what he did against uh, Jimmy Butler against Bam on a bio against Giannis and against Kevin Durant. He's got to do the same thing. And granted the guys that he's going to be defending probably an Andrew Wiggins or Draymond green are nowhere close to that, uh, that kind of style play. But still, just the fact that he can use his length 
Um, the he's basically been the playoff MVP. I have to say, uh, in my eyes for Boston this whole year, but he's got to be effective along with, uh, Robert Williams. So that's the size factor of it. The superstars side of it is all focused on Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. I think there can't be any slacks, which means you can't have Jason Tatum putting in another 10 point performance. Jalen Brown has to put in 20 points to be a, a supporting cast member, um, with Jason Tatum. So the turnovers have to be limited, obviously, from the two. The inconsistencies have to be limited. And I think that's going to be huge because there are two bona fide superstars on the Celtics. You look at Golden State, there's four bona fide superstars right there. You got your core three, and then you could throw in Andrew Wiggins in there. You could even throw Jordan Poole possibly in there. Um, so I think the, the two of them, Brown and Tatum, have to have more of a superstar impact than Curry or Thompson on the offensive end. Um, but then overall in the scheme of things, defense on the perimeter, I think it's going to be huge. Okay. Because in previous series, the nets, the bucks and the heat aren't nearly as strong three point shooters. Like golden state is they've got golden state, basically one through six can shoot threes. Essentially they have basically half of their roster are some of the strongest three point shooters in the game today. So I think that's going to be huge on the perimeter Obviously, Marcus Smart is probably going to be on Curry a lot. Probably going to see Grant Williams. He might have to go into the perimeter um, time and again, but I think perimeter defense is going to be absolutely huge for Boston. And that's that's some of the reasons I could see the Celtics winning. Now, the reason I could see Golden State winning their championship again is that they can just they can lean on experience when compared to Boston. I mean, this is their six finals in the last eight seasons. It's unbelievable. This is, I like to compare it. They're basically the modern day Chicago Bulls. Granted, they haven't won as much as the Chicago Bulls back in the, the Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen era. Um, but they're still, you know, when you're looking at sort of modern NBA dynasties, this is, this is definitely one, even though they've only won three times. That's three more than most franchises in the last 50 years or so. Um, but I think the, the factors for Golden State is, They've got to win on the rebounds. I think rebounding is going to be absolutely huge because, like I said, they don't have the size and the length on both ends of the floor that Boston has. You know, They don't have a Robert Williams or an Al Horford, but they just got to be really good on the rebounds. And I think you know Draymond Green can do that, um, and he can be a playmaker, but I think there's got to be more guys out there. I think Wiggins has to crash the boards. I think Thompson has to crash the boards. I think if they win the rebounding battle, I think that's going to be huge, especially they got to limit the offensive rebounds for the Celtics. I think that will be very important because second chance points we saw uh, in the Miami series against Boston, that bit them in the butt, the Celtics. So we saw how close Miami made it when they were rebounding extremely well. So I think if Golden State can do that, then they'll have a really strong chance. Um, but the most important thing I see is just the depth. I think depth is going to be huge. And I look at, you know, I, I mentioned Green as a playmaker, but the four biggest offensive weapons that Golden State has, Stephen Curry, Clay Thompson, Jordan Poole, Andrew Wiggins, they all got to be working together. And I think they've got to have really strong offensive games because we know Curry can get hot. We know Clay Thompson can get hot. But what happens when those two have uh, some, some tricky games? You know, if they're not shooting like we know that they can shoot, 
that means Jordan Poole has got to come in off the bench and be the strongest six man out there on the floor. That means Andrew Wiggins has to continue to attack the basket and be sort of that X factor. Because what happens when uh, Steph Curry starts making shots and Thompson starts making shots? That means defenses are going to put all eyes on them. That's going to open the door for all these other weapons to come in. That means Poole's got to be ready to shoot and score. Wiggins has to be ready to shoot and score. So I think all of them working together, and I think Steve Kerr has done uh, a great job with this team, you know, with all the bits and pieces. They've still got their core, but everyone else buying in. I think he he puts together really great teams. Um, so I think Golden State can do that. The question is, will they be able to do that? That's the question because these are – this is a tough defense that they got to get past. You know, it's going to be nowhere near what they saw against the Nuggets, against the Grizzlies, or against the Mavericks. You know, this is by far their toughest test of the playoffs. Now, for an overall prediction, you know, going into the series, I mean, the obvious choice in my eyes would be Boston because I live in the state and I root for the team. I've been rooting for them all season long. So my heart is saying Boston, but something about my gut, something about my gut says that Golden State's just going to find a way to pull this out just because of the championship experience. And I don't want to knock Boston because I think they've been in really, really tight games. Um, and in the core of smart Tatum, Brown, Horford, they've got experience in tough games in conference finals, you know, do or die kind of games. But this is the finals. The finals are a whole another level. I'll definitely be rooting for the Celtics to win. Don't get me wrong. I'll be rooting for them to win, but something about my gut tells me that Golden State's going to find a way to win this game. You know, they're well rested after missing the playoffs the last two years. Uh, just something, something about it says Golden State's going to win it to me. And I think it's going to be a seven game series. That's what I think. Just looking at also Boston in previous series, you know, they don't lose after they've lost. Um, so I think game one's going to be huge tonight. If Golden State wins game one, then they would probably be favored, at least in my eyes, to, to win the championship. But don't get me wrong for all the listeners from uh, Boston out there. I'm still rooting for the Celtics. But just something about my gut tells me that Golden State's going to find a way to win this championship. And I think they're going to do it in seven games. I think it's a seven-game series, and I think Golden State finds a way to come out on top. Um, but regardless of what happens, you know, gut tells me Golden State, heart tells me Boston. Regardless, I am looking forward to a very entertaining finals matchup between the Warriors and the Celtics. of the playoffs let's get into the nhl and the nhl is getting closer to crowning their champion as we are down to the final four in the chase for the stanley cup we know that either the tampa bay lightning the new york rangers the colorado avalanche or the edmonton oilers will be the stanley cup champions and we'll just break down each series starting in the east with i think arguably you could say in the in the past season the two best teams in the league. Now, granted, the statistics didn't show it. Neither of them are a number one seed out there. But, you know, if you had to make a prediction for possible conference finals play, then, you know, I would say probability would 
turn it towards Tampa and New York. That's what I would say. And uh, obviously, we're not going to form conclusions after last night's game one. But man, what a statement the Rangers made. Six to two was the uh, winning margin for the New York Rangers. And the Lightning are now down 1-0. And I think the Rangers started with a strong second period. I think that was what was huge in game one. Um, you had Philip Chidel scoring two goals in about six minutes apart from each other. Um, so I think getting out to a lead was um, was huge for New York, especially with a raucous crowd at Madison Square Garden. Um, you know, they just carried over all the momentum. They went, they went into Carolina in the previous series, and they were the only team to go on the road in that uh, stadium in Raleigh and knock off the Hurricanes. The Hurricanes were undefeated up until that point. And how frustrating must it be if you're a Canes fan to know that your only home loss in the playoffs was the deciding one. So, I mean, I think New York is riding that momentum as well. Everyone was riding them off saying, oh, look at Carolina. Look at how strong of a home team they are. Well, look at what the Rangers did. They went in and they put up uh, four goals early on. They eventually got, I think, five or six on the board and they sent Carolina packing. So I think part of that is momentum. I think other part is they are a great passing team. Uh, just looking at some of the goals uh, from yesterday, um, you had Panarin contributing. Adam Fox was a young defenseman. Um, Chaitel, as I mentioned, who put up two goals. I think this is a very strong New York team, but I think the difference in this series is going to be scoring first. I think whoever gets out to the lead early on is going to be the biggest difference because both teams are, they struggle from playing from behind. And we saw Tampa, you know, when it was 1-0, they tied at 1-1. Then when it was 2-1, they made it, they got it tied at 2-2. Um, but they eventually let it slip away uh, once it got to the later half of the second period. Um, but for the Lightning, I, I look at Andre Vasilevsky. He just did not look the same uh, in this game one versus when he swept the Florida Panthers. I mean, numbers numbers don't lie. And when you look at between the sweep in Florida and game one, Vasilevsky allowed three goals total in the four-game sweep of the Florida Panthers. And then he allowed six against the New York Rangers in game one. That's he doubled his margin in a four game series in one game. Um, so I think that's something to monitor if Vasilevsky continues to struggle the way he did. I mean, part of it could be rust too, because Tampa swept the Panthers. The Rangers had to go to a seven game series. So they were waiting around for a long time. So part of it could be that. Um, but I think also Tampa would be best served to skate at even strength uh, at most times. New York is a very good team on the special teams. They've got a power play success rate of 32.5%. They kill off penalties 80.5% of the time. And meanwhile, Tampa struggles on their power play uh, at only 23%. So, you know, I'm not going to automatically make conclusions that the series is going to be over after one game, but I will say there's a strong leaning towards New York if they take these two games at home. Uh, I, they do have the home ice. So if, if they grab these two, I think game two is probably going to be a lot closer uh, when we get uh, when we see it tomorrow night, Friday night. Uh, I think I think Tampa, they, they won't be rusty. I think I part of it was that too. I mean, this is a team I say over and over and over has so much championship experience. Like we talked about with the uh, golden state warriors. I think they know how to rebound um, and they'll come out stronger 
Do they win the game? I'm not 100% sure. But if you had to ask me today on Thursday, June 2nd, after one game, I would favor the Rangers. I would favor the Rangers probably in a six-game series. Um, Because you got to remember, New York also won the uh, season series, I believe, uh, three-zip against Tampa. So, you know, if Tampa does not respond and not respond well uh, in game two, then I would call the series over you know, considering uh, how they look. But we haven't even played a home game down in Tampa, Florida. So there's still lots of stuff that could be happening. But I think for right now, I'm going to pick the Rangers. Um, it could change. It could change within the week. Um, but we will see what happens over in the East. Over in the West, boy, what a game one between the Oilers and the Avalanche. Eight to six, Colorado beat Edmonton uh, last Tuesday. They got game two. Tonight, the game will have already ended once this episode comes uh, out for streaming. Um, But my goodness, that game one was incredible. I mean, scoring, I already knew scoring was going to be at a premium between these two, but I never would have thought 14 combined goals between the two were going to be the big difference. I mean, neither team could get away from each other. They kept responding seconds later, Um, but... To look at both teams individually, I look at Colorado and I see I see home ice and I see depth between those two. I mean, in the regular season, this team only lost five regular five games in regulation, and they were thirty two five and four in the regular season, and they're four and two in the postseason. You do the math; that's thirty two seven. I sorry, thirty six seven and four overall at home. So I, that's huge. That is huge uh, for the Avalanche. And then on the depth side of things, I would favor the Avalanche because not only do you have uh, Nate McKinnon and uh, Miko Rotsanen, but you've got Nazem Kadri, who we talked about last week. You got JT Comfer, who scored twice uh, for Colorado in game one, and a bunch of other more depth that they have. I think that is huge for Colorado. And I think they have the physicality edge. And that's what I want to see uh, from Edmonton side of things is they just got to be a little bit more physical uh, defensively because let's face it, Kale uh, Marker, probably one of the best defensemen in the game right now in the NHL. Not only does he pass well, he scores, and he's physical out there. You look at uh, Edmonton's line of defensemen, there's no one I don't think can really match him individually so i think they just have to match the physicality and obviously they're a great passing team uh they're able to score at a premium and they just have a lot of speed uh offensively but for edmonton i think you know we talk about it all the time with Connor mcdavid and uh leon Dreisaitl. you know evander kane has played great uh but who else is there you know who's got more scoring behind them between mcdavid and Dreisaitl and rotten and mckinnon that's that's what I see is um, who has more scoring behind them. And if you ask me, the depth, as I said, goes on Colorado's side. Colorado has Rotten and McKinnon. I say uh, Colorado has to be the favorite. They have to be the favorite. Um, just looking at all the scoring depth that they have, and they have a strong impact defenseman like uh, Makar. So I would favor Colorado on this side of things. Uh, sorry, all you Edmonton fans out there or uh, 
Canadian fans in general, uh, you're going to have to wait a little longer, at least in my eyes, to see uh, a Canadian team win the Stanley Cup. Sorry about that. But, you know, I, I just think Colorado has been so strong all year long. They've got strong defense. You know, they're not um, – that's another thing. As I said, McCarr can score. Who else on defense for Edmonton can score, you know, at, at a premium level, I should say? Um, I don't see it. I don't see it on the Oilers side of things. So I'm going to favor the avalanche. I think they get it done in six. That's what I am expecting is that Colorado finishes off Edmonton in six games, but I think it's going to be a very exciting series. If you don't, if you like offense and you like scoring, you like a lot of goals. This is the game for you. This is the series for you. Keep your eyes, keep your eyes peeled on this series, but All we know is that between these four teams, the race for the Stanley Cup is about to get that more exciting. While the playoffs are a nice thing to talk about, there's still some stuff going on that might not be as exciting as the playoffs, but it's definitely something to talk about. So let's dive in once again to this week's edition of Quick Hits. And we start in the college game. This is a story that's been going on for weeks now. Yeah, Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher continuing their beef, even though they're, quote, moving on. Now, for those of you that have been living in a cave and have no idea about this story, Nick Saban was at a press conference or uh, I think it was like a a town hall open forum or something like that. And he's basically, he called out uh, the name image and likeness uh, situation. And he said, you know, he uh, singled out Jimbo Fisher saying that he bought every player at Texas A&M. And that led to Fisher getting up to the mic at a press conference and with an impassioned speech, uh, basically saying, Oh, the, the King is getting knocked off his throne. And that's why he uh, making it back. And, it, it was just pure chaos, and now it's gotten updated this past week with uh, Nick Saban walking back his comments, saying he has no issues with Jimbo, and that he didn't say anybody did anything wrong. Uh, and then you got Jimbo Fisher saying he's moving forward, focusing about growing the sport. Um, but when you look at his tone, you you listen to him. If you watch that video from earlier this week with Jimbo. There's still hate in his voice. There's still sort of hatred in his eyes. You know, those two are probably done on speaking terms, I I would say, for a long time. And honestly, if I had to pick a side, I would favor Jimbo Fisher just because Nick Saban, you know, he he does have a point with um, Saban, who's obviously the uh, greatest college football coach of all time, possibly. And... You know, he is saying it's a little bit of sour grapes saying, oh, I'm at the top of the sport and now I'm sort of getting knocked down. So that's why I kind of favor Jimbo Fisher. But I mean, both guys in saying, you know, in in, in basically this feud, you know, I just want to see it play out on the field. I want to see October 9th when the college football season gets underway and these two teams play against each other because I think it's going to be very fun. There's going to be a lot of hatred there. And honestly, this is just a story that is not going to go away for a long time. Here on this podcast, we're a big golf fan. And obviously the headline this week 
has to be about the field of 42 getting released for the first event in the LIV Saudi Golf League. Uh, their first event in London taking place next week, uh, which contrasts to the, I believe it's the RB, RBC Canadian Open uh, and the PGA. And the field has been listed uh, with guys like Kevin Na, Louis Oosthuizen, and Sergio Garcia. But I think the biggest name out there has to be Dustin Johnson. This is a guy who is a recent major winner, I should say. Um, and he's he's out there. You know, this Dustin Johnson is the biggest name, I would say. I'm not going to say that he is the biggest. He would be uh, the biggest name. I think he is the biggest name. And to see just Dustin Johnson make this move, I think is going to it's going to say a lot about what the PGA thinks about the LIB because Johnson's already lost a sponsor from RBC, which is the sponsor of the tournament and the PGA next week. And we've heard already from the commission of the PGA, uh, Jay Moynihan, he's already reiterated his position saying about players who play in the Saudi league are going to get fined, suspended or banned. Now I, I got it. Um, when Moynihan said that, you know, this was like a threat or something like that. I hope he doesn't go through with the point of banning players because I mean, come on when I, I know the PGA still has guys like Tiger and Rory and DeChambeau and Kepka and all these guys. But these are still some names that, that uh, get eyes in there. People go to Dustin Johnson because he's a really good player. People go to Sergio Garcia to see him cuss out another rules official. So I'm hoping it goes the length of just being suspended maybe for a few months. I'm hoping players don't get banned because let, let's be honest. At this moment right now, I don't see LIV as a strong contender uh, to the PGA. But... If it were to get uh, stronger and stronger, you know, if you're banning all these players, that means it's just going to go downhill for the PGA. In the world of baseball, we have to talk about the incident last week between Tommy Pham of the Reds and Jock Peterson of the Giants. So Tommy Pham confronted Jock Peterson. And I think I think this was over the weekend when the Reds were playing the Giants. And Tommy Pham took a swipe and hit Jock Peterson. And he was suspended three games. Why was he suspended? Because it was over fantasy football. Fantasy football, Tommy Pham decides to hit a guy. And apparently the story was that Peterson was accused of cheating by using the IR spot to open up a, a roster spot or something like that. Now, I'm gonna share like a little story and I'll try and make it brief that this past year, uh, in my fantasy football league at uh, one of my jobs. I was in the championship with another guy and uh, someone on another team had released Russell Wilson in the free agency. And sure enough, uh, the other guy who I was playing didn't have a quarterback for that time. I think uh, I'm forgetting who it was out there. I Actually, I do remember it was Kirk Cousins he had. He had tested positive uh, for COVID, so he was without a quarterback. And what does he see? He sees Russell Wilson out there in the open market released and he picks him up and he almost beats me. Luckily he didn't. And I became fancy football champ. Um, but that situation is something I don't result to hitting him. I wouldn't hit the guy who released Russell Wilson. I would just confront him. You know, I've been in somewhat the same scenario as Tommy fam, but I'd never result to hitting someone over that scenario so tommy fam is just you know he served his suspension already but it's just 
it's something that you know it could it could have been a candidate for lol moment of the week if you ask me um but to see a baseball player hit another guy over fantasy football or not just baseball but just another guy in general hitting a guy over fantasy football that's just crazy the story in the nba has been about the finals but off the court we have one of our head coaching vacancies being filled. That is the vacancy of the Los Angeles Lakers and the name Darvin Ham, the assistant from the Milwaukee Bucks, is going to be the new head coach of the Lakers. And I want to say congratulations to Darvin Ham for getting at least two years as the head coach of the Los Angeles Lakers. He's got two years max right now. I mean, come on. That's just the LeBron James story side of things, okay? That's why he's only got two years. That's just the history of head coaches of LeBron James outside of Eric Spolstra. You know, guys do not last long when the guy named LeBron James is on your roster. And you know what's going to happen. The Lakers, are, if they're going to stink, they're going to blame it on the coach. You know, at, at least management is going to blame it on the coach. But the roster is just a mess. They've got guys that play styles just don't work well with each other and they're all old and they've got to get younger i don't i, I appreciate darvin darvin ham for wanting to get a head coaching role but the lakers is not the one to do it because you are basically walking into a pit of fire you're in a ring of fire with everything swirling around you it's gonna get it's gonna you're gonna get engulfed in the flames if you continue to lose so darvin ham i pray that things work out so you can sustain your position as head coach and then lastly in the world of nfl obviously we got uh mini camps coming uh i talked about voluntary otas which is nothing to panic over some of your favorite players aren't there but off the field aaron donald is making the headlines after his appearance on the i am athlete podcast i mean there's been talks ever since the super bowl about getting an extension he could say he wants to retire but he has said on that podcast that he's at peace he said that in quotes at peace with his career and that he would be perfectly fine retiring uh if he did not get a new deal with the la rams now if you're asking me this sounds like a leverage sort of thing. This is kind of, you know, looking at the Rams saying, listen, you don't make me the highest play paid defensive player. I'm going to retire. So you got to figure things out. Now, I, I don't think there's any like, you know, beef or anything like that. I don't think Donald's going to miss anytime. He's not going to hold out of minicamp or something like that. Um, Cause he's already, he's already a multiple time defensive player of the year. He's already a Super Bowl champ. He's going to the hall of fame and you know, when you look at um, when you look at the numbers, he's only a few million dollars short of uh, T.J. Watt for being the highest paid defensive player. They they can find a way to to make him the highest paid. So I don't think there's any like bad blood between Sean McVay and Aaron Donald, anything like that. Um, so this just sounds like really a leverage sort of thing to me. I don't think you know Rams fans have to panic uh, if Donald doesn't get a new deal because I don't see him retiring. I don't see him retiring. I think he's gonna play, and um, I, I think eventually. He's going to get a new deal. It might be a short-term deal, you know, because he might be serious about retiring or anything like that. But, you know, when you win a Super Bowl, things definitely change for you. And that is a wrap-up of this week's edition of Quick Hits.
as always, we get into our Let's Get Local segment of the week. And this is a very exciting time, not just for the city, but for this podcast. I've been teasing it for weeks and weeks that we got a special bonus episode coming out. Well, I can now reveal that this bonus episode is going to be released Saturday. So that is Saturday, June 4th. Make sure you are following this podcast for a special bonus episode of Let Me Speak. I'm not going to say what it is, but I'm going to say that it involves this Let's Get Local, and everyone who was involved with this are very excited about the release. So not only do you have to watch out for the release, but watch out for everything post-episode because it is very interactive. Hope everyone can play along. But let's talk about the big story in the city of Boston, and that is the Celtics in their first NBA Finals since 2010. Now, we already broke down what has to happen and the preview on the Celtics side of things. I For this one, I want to look specifically player by player at uh, what each guy who's seemingly going to be in the rotation, what they have to do in order for the Celtics to grab that 18th championship. Because it seems like so long ago that the Celtics were in the finals. I mean, it, part of it is just how historic this franchise is. They've had a, a nine title run uh, in 11 seasons. Um, they had that run in the eighties with the big three. And then obviously in 2008 with Pierce Garnett and Allen, you know, that team, but it's been 14 years since that title. It's been 12 years since their last appearance. And it seems so long ago, just because of how historic this franchise is. But as I say, every player has a specific task that they need to do. And I'm just going to look really quickly at basically one through nine, one through 10, uh, what they have to do. I think you start with Jason Tatum, and I think he's got to be the superstar. That means he's got to play better than Curry, better than Thompson. He's got to be the guy, specifically in the fourth quarter. I mean, he's had some great numbers so far in the postseason. He's shot uh, 27 points per game on 45% shooting. He's averaging almost seven rebounds a game and six assists per game. That's that's what I look at, the six assists per game in the postseason so far because the offense in these tight games, they have to run through him, and he's got to be smart on his decision-making. You know, if the shot is there, take it. If it's not, find the open man because he's going to get double-teamed. He's going to get double-teamed. It's just a matter of him making the right read. You know, even if that first initial pass isn't the shot that gets the offense moving. That means, you know, an extra pass in the corner for three or an extra pass down low off of a drive. I don't know. Stuff like that has to be huge for Jason Tatum. The offense has to run through him. It can't be like in game seven when you see Marcus Smart taking the final five shots uh, in that game for the Celtics. It's got to be much more than that. It's got to be Jason Tatum's team in the fourth quarter. Um, but he does have a second star, and I think Jalen Brown has to be that second star because, you know, like Tatum, he's been a little inconsistent uh, in this playoffs in terms of, you know, Tatum's had a 10-point game, and he's had a lot of turnovers. I think you look at the turnovers, he's got to be smart with that, driving to the basket. He can't be, you know, he's a good finisher at the rim in traffic, but in terms of driving to the basket, when you see him drive into the middle and he gets into the paint, there were a bunch of hands for Miami that were just swatting the ball away and the turnovers were starting to pile up on each other. So 
I think Brown just has to be smart on that driving to the basket, knowing that the drive or the shot isn't there. If he's guarded one-on-one, you know, as long as a help defender isn't flashing for golden state, then it's a smart play, but I think he's got to be the second leading scorer. I think he's got to be that second star. When you see Tatum struggling, he's got to come through and he's got to be leading the way. You know, sometimes it's just one of those nights. And if it is one of those nights, then Brown has to get through. He has to get through. Um, Arguably, you could say the third star on the team, Marcus Smart. I think he's got to be huge. I think obviously we know what he can do defensively. We know that he's going to be on Steph Curry. Uh, he sometimes might switch on the green or on the clay Thompson. Um, but I just see decision-making for the point guard. That's what I see uh, from Marcus smart, because I know we, we know we can do defensively. We know that, you know, he said himself that his ankle feels healthy. So we know he's going to be, even if he's not at hundred percent, he's still going to play like he's at hundred percent and he's going to leave it all out there. No doubt about it, but it's the decision-making that's going to be huge. And, Similar to Tatum in the fourth quarter, he's got to be smart and realize that the offense does not revolve around him or it can't revolve around him. You know, where was the ball movement and all of that? He just kept taking shot after shot instead of, you know, milking the clock. That's what a smart's got to do. He's got to be strong on the perimeter defensively, and he's got to be smart on the offensive side of things with decision-making. That's what I see on Marcus's side of things. And I think, uh, he could be a huge impact. And I think he's going to be uh, probably the, the biggest player uh, non-scoring uh, wise uh, that's going to make a big difference. Um, but the same thing with Al Horford, though. He's basically like a bigger version of Smart in terms of what he has to do. I think he's got to knock down his open threes like we saw in the Milwaukee series. Um, he's just got to he's got to nail the shots when he has to. And I think um, he's got to be a presence down low. Because he's not going to be the biggest guy in this series. He's not even the biggest guy on his team. But considering the Warriors play small ball, they're probably going to use Horford as their small ball center. Um, And that just means he's got to get in the post and he's got to nail those those shots in the paint. He's got to be strong defensively. We've seen he's probably going to get switched out on a Clay Thompson or Jordan Poole. So he's going to be strong defensively on that side of things. And plus, with the extra day's rest, you know, that old 35-year-old body of his uh, can get rejuvenated, uh, especially with the schedule working the way it is, just like I talked about. Same thing with Robert Williams is he can get his knee hopefully right. And uh, similar to Horford, he's just got to be a rim protector. He's got to be that rim protector because the Warriors don't have a rim protector. They don't have size down low. So if Williams can impact the game in that kind of way, then the Celtics will have a huge advantage huge advantage if Robert Williams can be a huge factor uh, under the basket, you know, not just in, um, in defense being a rim protector, but catching the lobs um, rebounding. I think that's going to be huge. Absolutely huge. But that's the starting five of of things. How about off the bench? Obviously Grant Williams is going to be huge, similar to Horford. He's going to get, he's probably going to, the Warriors are going to look for that switch They're going to try and get him on Curry or him on Thompson or even on Jordan Poole from time and again. Um, So it's just going to be a different style of defense that he's going to have to play. And then similar to Horford, he's got to nail his open shots, you know, whether that's, you know, driving the basket or hitting corner threes. Um, You know, we're not looking for a 27 point game like we saw in game seven against Milwaukee. 
Um, but just being a big enough factor where defenses are going to gravitate uh, towards him. I think that's going to be absolutely huge uh, for the team. And then I'd say uh, for Derek White in that backup point guard position, listen, Brad Stevens brought him in from San Antonio to be a two-way player. And it took a little bit of time, but in that Miami series, uh, we saw how big of a two-way player that Derek White can be. We know he's a good perimeter defender, but again, it's just offense, offense, offense for Derek White. And I look at it from an aggressive side of things. You know, I'm not looking for him to take as many threes and to make as many threes. You know, I just want to see him when he's got to come in for Marcus Smart. How does he play at the point guard position? And I think he attacked the basket really well uh, against Miami last series. And I think if he just continues that, then I think this Celtics team has a good shot of uh, having an advantage in this series. So Derek White has to be aggressive, has to be aggressive uh, on offense. Uh, Elsewhere on the bench, uh, you also got Peyton Pritchard who's probably going to get some minutes. Um, What I see for Pritchard is in that Miami series and in the Milwaukee series, you know, they were getting a lot of switches on him because he's, he's probably not a strong defender, Um, but we know that he can score. We know that for a fact. Um, I just look at, you know, he's, he's got to be that bulldog defensively. You know, he's going to be a guy who's not going to quit on the play, you know, that way every single time on the floor, it's not going to be, Oh, get uh, green on Pritchard or get Wiggins on Pritchard. It can't be that he's got to hold his own. That's what Pritchard has got to do. He's got to hold his own on the defensive side of things. And I think he can, I think Ime Odoka can coach him up and basically say, listen, you don't got to be, you know, a lockdown defender like smart. You just got to take a guy off his rhythm or just deny shot or uh, it's stuff like that. So I think that's what uh, Pritchard can do. That's what I think. Uh, Peyton Pritchard can do. Um, I'll even throw one more out there. I'll throw Daniel Tyson there because I think he might get some minutes time and again if uh, Williams, you know, if his knee flares up and he can't go as much. I think, you know, Tice, obviously the the one thing that he has a label on is just committing fouls. You know, he's very, he's very twitchy with his hands. So he gets a lot of uh, hand check fouls in there. He's just got to be big. Again, he's one of the bigger guys or he's going to be one of the bigger guys out there on the floor. I think as long as he just hangs around the basket, you know, if um, we can, if, if the Warriors are giving him threes, he can't take it every single time. You know, if he wants one three-point shot, then that's fine by me. But again, he's just got to play big. He's got to use his size, you know, just be there on the uh, extra pass when either Brown or Smart is uh, driving to the basket. And, you know, just be ready to finish at the rim. And then on the defensive side of things, just don't foul. Don't foul. Uh, be careful because these these warriors love to bait you and draw you in that pump fake and the fouls um, and Tice can be uh, susceptible to that so he's just got to be smart uh, on that and not to foul you know if he's going to contest don't you know jump into the guy just use your length and just contest so I think one through nine that's what I think is going to be huge uh, for the Celtics team if they want a chance to win the NBA championship. And like I said, um, I'll be rooting for them. I will be rooting for them. Um, and I'm hoping that they win. I really am hoping that they win, but it's like kind of a reverse, you know, sometimes use a reverse uh, mind thing where if you pick one team, the other team will win. That's what I'm hoping will happen. Um, so I'm really hoping that um, 
the Celtics have a strong showing uh, out in the Bay Area, and three games will have already been in the books by the time we get into uh, next week's episode. So we'll dive more into the NBA Finals and uh, what the Celtics have done next week. But there is another team still playing out there, and that's the Red Sox. You know, it's the Red Sox are just kind of sitting there like, what about us? What about us? We're playing, because normally at this time uh, in recent years, it's only been the Red Sox who have been playing right now, but it was the first time in a while that uh, the Red Sox are not the only team playing in Boston. And honestly, I think that's a blessing in disguise because no one's paying attention to how bad they're playing. I mean, they've gotten better, but they're still just, they're not, they're not there yet. And I think the next step for the Sox is just finding consistency because we, we've seen what the offense can do. Uh, we, we saw them heat up incredibly a couple of weeks ago against Seattle, uh, including the walk-up by Franchi. Um, but just in, in recent series, you know, the five game set with the Orioles and then this two game set uh, with Cincinnati and Fenway. I consistency, man, it's, it's consistency that's been bugging uh, at least me in particular, because you go from a 12 to win uh, against the Orioles to then being shut out 10, nothing um, and being one hit by the Cincinnati Reds, you know, that, that just can't happen. That cannot happen at all. You can't go from, a dominant team who's put up, you know, 16 runs in Chicago and 12 runs against the Orioles to then going to being shut out and only getting one hit uh, in a game. And, you know, part of it's getting better. You know, they had a big 7-1 win last night against Cincinnati, but they struck out 13 times. You know, that it's what I'm looking at from the lineup is that um, we already know who the big hitters are and who they're going to be. We know Devers, Martinez, Bogarts, they're going to be the consistent guys right there. But the reason that this team does so well is when Trevor Story is racking up RBIs, when Kike is racking up RBIs, even guys like Jackie Bradley Jr. who are contributing. So I think it's in these victories, it can't just be the three-headed monster uh, at two, three, four in the lineup who has to do the damage. You know, all these other guys have to get on base and get those key hits. And I think when you see them do that, that's what leads them to victories. And again, you're going to see the bullpen struggle because this is one of the weaker bullpens in the majors, at least in my eyes. Um, so if you can have that run insurance, then it takes off the pressure because I think that's mostly where the bullpen issues lie is just pressure situations that I talked about last week, pressure situations and close games um, where you need to hold a team down is where they're struggling. Now, granted, they, they played well uh, in that two-to-one loss, but even still, in moments like that, the offense has to come through. And when the offense comes through, that means the bullpen has to come through. So just finding consistency all throughout that roster is going to be huge, uh, especially heading on to a 10-game road trip now out west. You know, they're going to be in Oakland, L.A. against the Angels, and then Seattle. You know, if they can get a five, if they can go six and four or even seven and three uh, in that 10 game road trip, which is possible with uh, the Angels struggling, the, the A's being garbage and Seattle struggling as well, it's possible. It is possible. Um, but it's, it's vital that this team plays 500, that they play above 500 on this West, uh, West Coast road trip because it is going it's going to tell fans about this season, you know, cause we're getting closer and closer to the all-star break and it's post all-star break that 
um, you start to make judgments or uh, true judgments about this team. So if they don't have a good month of June, then you could wipe this season clean that they're not going to have a single shot at it, especially with the East being so far away uh, with the Yankees rolling and the Blue Jays and the Rays. Um, So if you don't have a good month of June and your season is over, that's what the Red Sox staff and the organization has got to think. But um, no one's paying attention right now to the Red Sox. No offense. It's all about the Celtics and the hope to bring Banner 18 back to the city of Boston. as we always do we look at our lol moment of the week and i'm not putting this on one specific moment or one specific uh player or person i'm just putting it into a whole event so the event that gets this week's lol moment of the week is the match out in las vegas so that means specifically the moment Goes to Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Pat Mahomes, Josh Allen, even Charles Barkley, who had a couple of moments uh, right then and there. Um, I, I put the whole match into one category as LOL moment of the week because there were a lot of memorable moments, I would say, specifically the trash talking going on. And, you know, it started out obviously with Barkley out in the booth saying, like, yo, man, I want to cut that ponytail and that man bun off of Aaron Rodgers, <laughs> you know, that's, that's Barkley with those uh, one-liners and uh, stuff like that. <laughs> he was even, he even threw shade at Shaq, Shaq. He was like, Oh, good thing being around Vegas. I don't be around that idiot Shaq. I mean, come on that beef between those two. It's like two brothers fighting at each other, but the trash talking that got me were between the players um, in the event. Obviously it was the team of Brady and Rodgers against the young guns of Mahomes and Allen I mean, you had in the the pre-match, you had Aaron Rodgers saying Patrick Mahomes was a TikToker um, in the in the pregame press. You had Patrick Mahomes saying Josh Allen's biggest fear was a coin toss. I mean, geez. and then you had Josh Allen who uh, showed Tom Brady a golf ball that had that memorable picture from Tom Brady's combine back in uh, 1999 <laughs> on a golf ball, and then Brady returns the favor by uh, showing the Lombardi trophy on one of his balls. And he says, Josh has never seen one of those. I mean, come on, just who, who doesn't love the match in my question. Now I, I did say when the, when the uh, participants came out, I would have loved to have seen like a PGA guy, but obviously the schedule wouldn't have worked because, you know, a couple weeks off the PGA, another RBC Canadian open coming out, stuff like that. But regardless of who's in the match, it is must watch. It, it's must watch just from the entertainment side of things. And it's kind of good to see, um, you know, these NFL quarterbacks in sort of a loose kind of state where they can have fun, but they can also be competitive as well. So to me, the match is always a must watch event, always a must watch event. And sure enough, it was the old guys coming through with the victory. Aaron Rodgers with a huge birdie putt on that last hole. Rodgers and Brady. You know, that just shows how much experience, how much experience is so vital um, <laughs> to see the young guys, uh, Mahomes and Allen, who haven't been 
in the match, but Brady and Allen or uh, Brady and Rogers, excuse me, who were in the match get their victory. Um, so, I mean, last year they were on opposite sides of things. Now they're working together as a team and they win the match. So the total events of the match between the trash talking, the, the play, the game winning putt, it's the whole event of Capital One's The Match from Las Vegas has earned their spot into this week's LOL Moment of the Week. So that wraps it up for another edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in wherever you are getting this podcast, watching us on YouTube or listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Make sure, as always, you follow our pages on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. All you got to do is search Let Me Speak Podcast. And remember, as always, if you got a point you got to get across, just let the whole world know. Shut up and let me speak.